0: Speaking of teaching, Colossians chapter 1. Let's resume our study in the book of Colossians. It's an exciting time. It's uh, a challenging time as Christians. But it's a very exciting time as Christians. And I pray that today's teaching will bless you. To help you keep fighting the good fight. Keep running our race. Keep moving forward. Next month... Um, I'll have a book out, Moving Forward in Difficult Days. And so we're looking forward to that. Working on another project called The Ministry. Um, there's a lot to do. So join us in, in ministering to this dark, dark world. We'd love to have you you know, join us in ministry in different areas of ministry, children's ministry, nursery, coffee shop. There's, there's so much to do. And um, I just want to encourage you, and I pray today's teaching will encourage you, as we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 1, now keep in mind as we uh, have been um, out of our Colossians study for the last couple weeks, uh, that we saw in the opening statement of Paul as he begins to address the Christians of Colossae, Colossae in Asia Minor. He had never visited the church personally. There's no record of the apostle being in Colossae. But he knew the Christians there, and he knew of the church. He says, you guys are faithful brethren. They were known for their, their love, and they were doing well in a lot of ways. But also, there was a threat that had come into the church, and that was false doctrine. And as we have discussed, the Gnostics were coming in, and they were denying the deity of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ in, in the word of God. So that was all being challenged. So Paul is establishing them once again in truth. And before we move on, let's pray as Lord, we want to be established in truth because there's a lot of voices that are out there that can confuse us or uh, cause us to uh, be out of, uh, Lord, living in your truth and trusting you. Uh, And it's even in the church. Lord, we see these powerful words given to us. And they're your words in this chapter. That You have preeminence over all things. You created all things. It's all held together by you. So I pray that this morning that you would touch our hearts as we open up our ears to hear from you and soften our hearts to take your word and plant it in our hearts that it may take root there and bear fruit in our lives. So I thank you that we are here. Help us to be settled. And to be attentive to the things that you desire to, to say through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So you know, as we have gone as far as verse 18, that Paul's began to talk about the preeminence of Christ. That, that he's the image of the invisible God, verse 15. That is, he reflects God perfectly. People will say to you and to me, and I'm sure you've, uh, many of you have had this happen. Well, I know God. Uh, I'm in touch with God. I'm not a Christian, but I know God. And the scriptures declared that apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot know God or know what he is like. Jesus is the likeness, the perfect representation of God. And Jesus, he is the creator of all things. As we saw last time, we were in Colossians in verses 15 through 17. He's the firstborn over all creation. It is not as the Gnostics were teaching or or some of the mysticism that was coming into the church they were saying different beings were created and then Jesus along the line was created. No, it wasn't that he was created and then he created other things, the heavens and the earth. He was before all creation, before anything was created. He is before all creation. He has preeminence over creation for all things were created by him and for him and in him as we ended last time all things consist or that is is held together you and i were made for him you were created by him to bring glory and honor and to do his good pleasure in your life and christian when we really understand that when we make that our own When we realize that I was made for you, Lord, for your good pleasures, I am your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that that's when we sense a real purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in life. And may we all understand that God has given us the very best foundation to build your life on, and that is Jesus Christ. Even as he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that you be the wise man that builds upon a solid rock. That is, when the storms come, you'll be able to stand. And he's going to address that more as we continue in this chapter here. But he is the one that we build our lives upon. And as we surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, he will be that lasting, firm foundation as you build upon the Rock, He will hold your life together in every area of your life, whether it's your marriage, as a parent, in your job, or business, in the difficult decisions that need to be made. Allow him to hold it all together for you, and you will be blessed, and you will be strong. But if any of us say, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do what is right in my own eyes. I'm going to lean on my own understanding. What will happen is eventually that things begin to unravel. Why? Because verse 17, in him all things consist. And that includes not only all of creation, but our own personal lives. And also Jesus not only having preeminence in creation, but also in redemption. We're going to see that in verses 19 through 23. But also in the church, as we begin to read in verse 18, Paul making mention of that as well. We read that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus has supremacy to Uh, to all things, including the church, the body. Now, we know that the church is not a building. The church is made up of believers uh, in Christ, in the Gospels, called the body of Christ. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ coming together as one body, as one church, Jesus is the head. And all churches who name the name of Jesus, who stand firmly on the Gospel, all ministries, all missions, all gathering of believers... Jesus is the head, and we are to be under the leadership and the headship and direction and guidance and submission of Christ. And what has been created in the Spirit should continue to be one that we continue being submitted to him, to Christ. And it would be the Galatian churches that were warned by Paul. You might remember what has begun in the Spirit. You're going now try to perfect in the flesh. You see, what can be a temptation for ministries, what can be a temptation for the church or churches is to focus on programs, to focus on marketing. That's the pressure that is put to us, uh, fleshly things that really don't have a lot to do with Christ. And I'm not saying that all churches are that way, but I think that's a trend. I think more and more are looking to man's way, how to grow the church and having this striving and wanting to put on a show or be as dynamic as possible rather than what really pleases the one who is the head of the church, and that is Jesus, and be led by the Spirit of God. Let him direct us, empower us in the things of the gospel, for us to serve him so that the church is edified and the gospel goes out to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Verse 18, again, he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn of the dead. Now, what does that mean to us? Paul would write in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Christ has risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And what Paul is referring to in First Corinthians 15 and also here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, is this. That Jesus was first to resurrect, never to die again. He was the first to bodily resurrect. Now, remember the resurrection speaks of our bodies being dead and and is resurrected to new heavenly bodies. Keep in mind, because people get confused about this, I get called all the time on the radio on this. Um, And Paul would bring clarity to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. My mom, who passed away nine days ago, she is more alive than ever before. She is with the Lord. We have that promise when she took her last breath that she went to be with Jesus. But it will be soon that we'll be putting her body in the ground. And the day will come, when the trumpet sounds, that she will be resurrected. Her body, that bodily resurrection And we know that the promise is given to us, that we who are in Christ, that we will be resurrected. I pray that at the rapture of the church, when that happens, that we're the ones who are alive, we're the generation. But if we have our lives come to an end here, we go home to be with the Lord, but we will experience that bodily resurrection, never to die again. Now, in the scriptures, in both the New and Old Testament, you have those who died as they were resurrected and they were brought back to life, right? 1 Kings chapter 17, Elijah raised the widow's son. Second Kings chapter 4, Elijah raised the Shulamite son. You had Jesus who raised Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, the, the widow of Nain, her son. Peter was used to resurrect Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 20, Paul himself resurrected Eutychus. There, When he fell asleep during Paul's teaching and fell out of the window and down on the ground and he died. Kind of a warning for anyone who falls asleep during the teaching of... <laughs> I'm just kidding, but actually it makes me feel good. I mean, who would fall asleep but Paul the Apostle? <laughs> But apparently it happened. And Paul would go down, and he would put his hands on that young man, and he would resurrect. But what's being spoken of here is Jesus was the firstborn, our first fruits of the dead, the first to rise bodily without dying again. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul writes that long chapter about the resurrection, he says Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, which is the most fundamental fact of our lives, our, the history of our world. And since Jesus rose from the grave never to die again, we who are believers, we are going to be resurrected, never to die again. And again, the resurrection is talking about our bodies being resurrected so that we have that new cholesterol bodies, uh, new heavenly bodies. And I can't wait to get my new heavenly body. Jesus bodily rose from the grave, and Paul is dismissing what the Gnostics were saying in Paul's day. That Jesus didn't bodily resurrect because they didn't believe that he had a body. And here the apostle writing that he's the firstborn from the dead. He bodily resurrected never to die again. He is the head of the church. He's the firstborn of the dead. And verse 18, and that in all things he may have the preeminence. That Jesus might have priority over everything. Creation, life, the church your family, your life individually. And you might be thinking, Pastor, I know this. But do we apply it? And that includes me. He is to have absolute preeminence in every day that we start. Absolute preeminence over every decision that we make. Absolute preeminence over every area of our lives. That's the intent of the Father. There is one thing that the Lord will not have preeminence over, and that is the heart who says, I don't want you. I don't want to submit to you. And even as a Christian, the one who says, I got this area of my life, I'll take care of it, I'll lean on my own understanding, I'll move forward in my own way, I'll do my own thing. Because he will not force his way into your life. But he desires to have preeminence in every area of our lives. And he desires to work in such a wonderful, incredible way. Because we are ones that he wants to do the best for us. Because he's already given us the best Jesus Christ. But as we continue in verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In him should all the fullness dwell. Verse 19 is really one of the most powerful descriptions of Christ's deity in the New Testament. Scripture is telling us that the full and complete deity of Jesus dwells, which is a permanent dwelling in Jesus, in Christ. He is fully God. It is speaking of full and complete deity in Jesus. It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. In the next chapter, we're going to see that Paul will write, For in him Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, Jesus is God, was God in human flesh. God became a man through the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus all the fullness dwells. So can I ask us a question this morning? Do you feel empty? Is there a void in your life? The problem can be for any of us is that instead of being full of Jesus, we can be so full of the world or we can be so full of ourselves. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, here's the key to life. And that is that you die. You die to self and you follow me. And that's what we've been talking about in this section of Colossians is this. In everything, just let Jesus have preeminence and priority. You love him. You live for him. And as you do that every day and each day, you will be fulfilled because it's in him and it is from him that we will have true lasting joy and peace. We will have a peace that rules in our hearts and satisfaction and fulfillment. You see, it's Jesus. Don't try to complicate it. It's Him. It's all centered around Him, it's all held together by Him, it all points to Him. And it was all created for Him. It's all Jesus. And people will never be fulfilled or satisfied or have a fullness of joy in their lives if they're not submitted and committed to him. If he doesn't have priority in our lives, wherever we go and whatever we do. And the person who says, it's Christ in my life and my family, you will be truly blessed and content and have peace and strength and joy and all those things that people are looking for in all the wrong places. You'll find fulfillment in life. And you will not find it in this world. If you look for it in this world, in the world's philosophy, in the world's ways, you're going to end up being blue and depressed and wondering what is really the purpose of life? And why is there this void in my life? Why am I so empty? Because you're not living life the way it was meant to be. You were created by him. You were created for him. And he holds all things together, and that includes our individual lives. And it is in him dwells all the fullness. So everything that we need to be full and satisfied, it is from Jesus. There's nothing else, and there's no one else. Amen? Well, verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Isn't that wonderful? Paul would write in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what does that word mean, to reconcile? Well, it simply means that there's a coming together. And Paul writes that we were alienated to a holy God because of our wicked works, because of sin. That word reconciliation literally means transferred to another owner. And Paul, earlier in the chapter, in verse 13, you might recall that we've been delivered from the power of darkness and was conveyed or transferred into the kingdom of his son. Now, the world loves The concept You talk to people. We see it all around us. The philosophy, the embracing of man is good, the inherent goodness of man. And and there are many roads that lead to God. Those are popular opinions and teachings of the day. But nowhere to be supported in the scriptures. Matter of fact, we know that Jesus said, I am the way. Not just a way, but I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We know that Jesus said narrow is the road that leads to life, and there are few that find it, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Because of our sin, we were alienated, separated from God. And Jesus, that's why he came. He went to the cross and made atonement for our sins. And as we come in faith, we have peace with God, reconciliation with the Father through the cross of Jesus. Now, remember, when we talk about reconciliation, a coming together to the Father, Note that we are reconciled to God, not that God is reconciled to people. It was man that that left God. It was us that rebelled against God and needs to be brought back to him. God has reconciled us to himself, verse 20, and that is what makes Christianity so unique as you look at all other religions whether it's Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or Eastern mysticism or New Age thought and philosophy, whatever it might be, they say this is what you have to do. If, and if you do it, then you can be reconciled to God. You can have the Christ consciousness in you. You can reach, reach nirvana, whatever it might be that they teach. Only Christianity uniquely says and truly says you are reconciled to God, the the one who created all and created you and me because of what he did in sending his son to die on a cross for you and for me. And now as we embrace that and have the promise of eternal life and we've been reconciled. To the Father, as we come to Christ, we have forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternal life, reconciliation with the Father. Now we have the ministry of reconciliation. That is, we get to tell others that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And there is forgiveness and salvation possible through Jesus because he has reconciled us to the Father. And in this reconciliation that we now have because of Jesus' death on the cross, we're no longer alienated or separate from god as we come to jesus in faith we're no longer we're no longer at war with him some christians i talk to they i feel like I'm still warring with him. I I still separate from him. No, you have reconciliation in the finished work of the cross. Our sins have been washed away, possible by Jesus' death. And then Paul continues in verse 22, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's such an incredible verse. It's wonderful. Now, Jude would write something in his little epistle right before the book of Revelation in verse 24, writing now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, I'll speak for myself. When I look in the mirror, I don't feel very faultless. I don't feel blameless. I, I know I'm not. I know I fall short. But he has imputed his righteousness to me because of faith. So positionally in Christ, I'm faultless, I'm righteous. It means that we are free from accusation. Now it's Satan who's the one who's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night, Revelation chapter 12. You're no good. God doesn't love you. He's not going to forgive you. You're a spiritual waste. Just give up. Don't read your Bible, don't pray, don't go to church, whatever it might be. He's the accuser of the brethren. He just continually accuses us. And Jesus, He's our advocate according to 1 John chapter 2. Jesus has clothed me with His righteousness and died for all of my sins. And when we go home to be with Him, we will be presented faultless before His presence with exceeding joy. The Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. Isn't that incredible? because of what Jesus Christ has done. So don't let the enemy rip you off in the joy of your salvation. And in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. You have reconciliation with the Father because of Jesus' bodily death on the cross. You are positionally in Christ righteous. You'll be presented before the Father, holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith. Interesting that that the word here, as it says, persists as we're the ones to be grounded. We're to be steadfast. Uh, it, it, It means to persist. Now, remember, it was the Colossians heretics that were trying to keep them from the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Paul says, continue in the faith. Faith in what Jesus has done for you on Calvary's cross, the person of Jesus Christ, the preeminence of Jesus, all these things that Paul has been writing about in the previous verses. Continue in the faith. Do not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Paul, at the end of his life, would write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that the time of my departure is at hand, for I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul will say in the next chapter, just as you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord so walk in him. You've received him by faith, continue in that faith. Continue to abide in him, to to live in his love. Paul says grounded and steadfast. That word grounded means to be established. It's like a building that's on a firm foundation. It's like when we go to the mountains and we see bighorn sheep. You see them on the rocks up there on the hillsides. They're grounded steadfast, again, realize that we are able to build on the best and most wonderful life, a life of blessing and to experience that abundant life that he has for you and me because God has given us the very best foundation to build upon, the rock Jesus Christ, our foundation Jesus and Calvary's cross so that we can be established and grounded because he is the foundation of our lives even as Jesus said that you be the one to build upon me. So what is Paul telling us? What we are reading in this chapter, stay grounded in Jesus, stay close to him. And as you do, when the winds of adversity begin to blow and the storms come into your life, and they do, you will be able to stand and be steadfast towards Jesus. We're being exhorted. Again, the word means to plant your feet where you're at and to stay there. You are settled. This is what the word of God says. I believe it because God said it. And as you do that, you will not be moved away from the hope of the gospel. I think that this is really important verse to look at, to consider, to pray through. Because we're being reminded, as Paul says, Again, told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demon. How there's deception coming more and more into the church. Christians buying into lies and non-biblical doctrine and falling away from the truth of the gospel. Unfortunately, we read the statistics that more and more pastors and ministers behind the pulpit don't even believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And Paul said to Timothy that they speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron. And so we want to make sure that we continue in the study of God's word, searching the scriptures, and that will keep us grounded and steadfast in the truth that is declared to us by God. Continue in the faith. Now, verse 23 is also a difficult verse in that people look at this verse and they wonder, okay, what exactly does Paul mean here? I, I have this reconciliation, the hope of the gospel, if I continue in the faith. Talking about, listen, perseverance. I want you to know this. That God's word says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. That there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. The promise of Jesus in John chapter 10 it's clear, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Jesus also said in John chapter 6 verse 37, he who comes to me, I will no means cast them out. We have the assurance of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in you, will perform it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Jude 24, to him he was able to keep you from falling. I believe in the security of salvation of the believer. But with that said, listen. It does not mean that we ignore this verse, which is a flashing red light of warning. If you continue in the faith, persevere. Again, Timothy, in the latter days, some will depart from the faith. Galatians chapter 5, that Paul said that the works of the flesh are evident. And then he begins to give a list of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, hatred, jealousy, sorcery, so forth. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about if you fall into sin or succumb by a sin. We have forgiveness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But if you're living a sinful lifestyle, then there's something wrong. Habitually, continually living in these sinful lifestyles, I will not take away from what the word of God has to say. There's a warning there. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what I am trying to do as a teacher of God's word is to maintain a Bible-centered balance. And these challenging verses are issues. The Bible does talk about perseverance of true believers and warns against those who drift away into sinful lifestyles or a rebellious heart. Hebrews does that, gives those warnings. Don't drift away. Don't turn away. And I don't claim to have all the answers. Paul did say to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. But you see, what happens is then we try to argue and, you know, be divisive and ugly and legalistic. And this is where I want to encourage you. See what God's word has to say. You pray about it. Let the Lord minister to you on these matters. I have the assurance of salvation. And if I view my salvation on my performance, then I'll get discouraged and concerned. Paul said, listen, continue in the faith. He didn't say continue in working for your salvation. All right? All right? And as I read verse 23, I say, Lord, I just want to be faithful to you in your word. I want to abide in you and stay close to you. I don't want to fall away into deception or to fall away after the things of the world. I want to continue in the faith, stay close to Jesus, build upon him, be grounded in him, look to him, continue, continue all the days of your life. Abiding in Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words that we don't want to play games with our salvation. And, Lord, you examine our hearts. And bring conviction to us, Lord, not to push us away. The, The enemy pushes us away from you through condemnation. You bring conviction to draw us to you. And that's what we need. Lord, there's areas of our lives where we're just ignoring your word or not applying them. It's for all of us. Whatever that might mean for us, Lord, help us to repent and turn to you. That we can be assured of our salvation, that we belong to you, those of us in faith. We want to continue to trust you. Take the word of God and apply it in our lives. Where are we at today, Lord, right now at this time when we have a few minutes to pray? And for those who are here right now, Listen, do business with the Lord. You know there's compromise. You're moving forward in your own ways and understanding. The Lord has so much for you. He loves you. And He desires for you to build upon Him in every decision, in your family, as a parent, in your job, in everything to look to him, to yield to him, to trust him, to rest in his love. So Lord, help us to do that. And to do what Paul says, to examine ourselves, see if we're in the faith. You, as David said, search my heart and try me and see if there'd be any wicked way in me, Lord. We don't want to live after the world. But allow you to be the Lord truly Every day, following you, trusting you, looking to you, enjoying you. Because we've been reconciled to you, Father, through Jesus Christ. And we have the spirit of adoption where we we can cry out, Abba, Father. And I do want to pray right now for anyone who may be here. You never have repented and turned to Jesus. That means change direction. And come to him. And realize you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. We've been alienated. Separated from God because of sin. That's why Jesus came. Because of his love for you. And the joy that was set before him. He went to that cross to die for you specifically. And he took your sins upon himself. Made atonement. Rose from the grave. And he's alive. And he says come. Believe in me. You can't save yourself. It's a free gift. It comes by faith. Trusting and what he has done for you and that he's alive and that he's truly Lord. He proved it by rising from the grave. And you can do that right now. Today is the day of salvation. To pray, Jesus, I come to you and I ask you, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. And I know that you are Lord of all. I ask that you be my personal Lord. And I know that you're my Savior. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And bringing me from the darkness into your marvelous light in this new beginning and bringing me to the family of God and reconciling me to the Father. Help me to just continue to know you and walk with you, to abide in you in this new venture of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.